0: God redeems His people from the troubles and difficulties of this life. We're also reminded that at a spiritual and eternal level, God redeems His people. But He always does so through the one Redeemer He has appointed, His only Son, Jesus the Messiah.
1: Welcome to The Word Unleashed with Tom Pennington. Tom is pastor-teacher at Countryside Bible Church in Southlake, Texas. Are you committed to surrendering your plans to God? Do you acknowledge Him as He commands so that He will direct your path? Do you recognize His tenacious grace towards you? Hi there, I'm Bill Wright, and Tom has part 19 for us of his current series, RUTH. Last time we began to work through the final chapter of this magnificent story, looking at how Yahweh shows that He is a redeeming God by providing a Redeemer for His people. He does so in His time and according to His will. Today you'll discover that through remarkable circumstances, God not only provided a Redeemer for Ruth, He also provided a Redeemer for Naomi. But in what way does he provide this remarkable gift? Let's find out as we join our teacher now on The Word Unleashed.
0: In Act 3, I've entitled it Yahweh's Protection and Provision. Both of these women had sought refuge in Yahweh under his wings. And chapter 2 tells the story of how God provides for his own Naomi had repented and returned to her God. Ruth the Moabitess had eschewed her foreign gods, Chemosh, and she had come to worship the true God, to believe in Yahweh. And since both of these women had now sought refuge in Him, God took personal responsibility to care for them. They were under His wings. And God made it His mission to make sure that He cared for His own. And He did so... By a remarkable providence, by bringing Ruth providentially to glean in the field of Naomi's close relative or kinsman redeemer, a man named Boaz. The Hebrew puts it remarkably in chapter 2 when it says, Her chance chanced upon the field belonging to Boaz. The writer means to have this, this statement drip with irony. It seemed on the surface like chance and chance alone. But in reality, God was weaving the lives of these two people together for His own purposes. Because God cares for His own. That brings us to Act 4 and the third chapter of this little book. I entitled it, A Bold Proposal. Several weeks after Ruth had met Boaz in his fields, Naomi initiates an extraordinary plan. Naomi told Ruth that she should propose marriage to Boaz. Naomi based her bold plan on an obscure Old Testament passage about leveret marriage. Because Naomi had decided, now that she was renewed in her repentance and her desire to follow Yahweh, she decided that however radical it may seem, she was going to follow whatever directions God had laid down in his word for her care. And so she discovered that this was his plan. Ruth followed Naomi's plan carefully. And at midnight, there on the threshing floor, she proposed to Boaz. And amazingly, Boaz accepted her proposal of marriage. Notice chapter 3, verse 11. Now, my daughter, do not fear. I will do for you whatever you ask, for all of my people in the city know that you are a woman of excellence. At the same time, Boaz revealed to Ruth that there was a serious problem with Naomi's plan. Verse 12. Now, it is true that I am a close relative. However, there is a relative closer than I Boaz goes on to assure Ruth that he will leave no stone unturned to make sure she's cared for, and if it is humanly possible, he will marry her. Now, last time we studied Ruth together, we began to work our way through the final chapter of this magnificent story, and I entitled the fifth and final act, The Redeemer. In this act, Yahweh shows that He is a Redeemer By providing a Redeemer for His people. At a temporal level, God redeems His people from the troubles and difficulties of this life. He does so in His time and according to His will. We see that in chapter 4. But at the same time, in chapter 4, we're also reminded that at a spiritual and eternal level, God redeems His people. But He always does so through the one Redeemer He has appointed, His only Son, Jesus the Messiah. So chapter 4 is a, is a rich story of redemption at several levels. First of all, it is a story of the re, a Redeemer for Ruth. A Redeemer for Ruth. We saw this in the first 12 verses of this little book. In chapter 4, verses 1 through 12. Let me just walk you through what we discovered there. Notice, first of all, verses 1 and 2. Now, Boaz went up to the gate after that proposal of marriage at night. The next morning, Boaz went to the gate where the business was done. He sat down there, and behold, the close relative, the kinsman redeemer of whom Boaz spoke, was passing by. So he said, turn aside, friends, sit down here. And he turned aside and sat down. And he took ten men of the elders of the city and said, sit down here. So they sat down. That's the legal setting. This was not a a chance encounter. Business was done at the gate. There were rooms that were a part of the gate structure. I I showed you those pictures last time. And in those rooms, the business of town was done. This is clearly a business transaction. He asked for ten witnesses from the elders of the city. Now, you have not only the legal setting, but in verses 3 through 11... You have what amounts to a court transcript. These verses essentially read just like our modern court transcripts would. Notice verse 3. Then he said to the closest relative, Naomi has come back from the land of Moab, has to sell the piece of land which belonged to our brother Elimelech. So I thought to inform you, saying, buy it before those who are sitting here and before the elders of my people. If you will redeem it, redeem it. But if you will not, tell me that I may know, for there is no one but you to redeem it, and I am after you. And he said, I will redeem it. Then Boaz said, by the way, there's this little problem. On the day you buy the field from the hand of Naomi, you must also acquire Ruth the Moabitess, the widow of the deceased, in order to raise up the name of the deceased on his inheritance. The closest relative said, I cannot redeem it for myself, because I would then jeopardize my own inheritance. Redeem it for yourself. You may have my right of redemption, for I cannot redeem it. Now, this was the custom in former times in Israel concerning the redemption and the exchange of land to confirm any manner. A man removed his sandal and gave it to another, and this was the manner of attestation in Israel. So the closest relative said to Boaz, buy it for yourself. And he removed his sandal. Then Boaz said to the elders and all the people, "'You are witnesses today that I have bought from the hand of Naomi "'all that belonged to Elimelech and all that belonged to Kilion and Malon. "'Moreover, I have acquired Ruth the Moabitess, the widow of Malon, to be my wife, "'in order to raise up the name of the deceased on his inheritance "'so that the name of the deceased will not be cut off from his brothers "'or from the court of his birthplace. "'You are witnesses today.' All the people who were in the court and the elders said, we are witnesses. That's what transpired. That's the deal that was struck, the arrangements that were made. And that's followed in verses 11 and 12 by the people's benediction. In response to all that had happened, the people and the ten elders break out in benediction. First of all, on Ruth, notice verse 11 It says, may the Lord make the woman who is coming into your home like Rachel and Leah, both of whom built the house of Israel. May God grant you children. May there be uh, those who come behind you and who represent you. Secondly, a blessing on Boaz. And may you achieve wealth in Ephrata and become famous in Bethlehem. May your name be called and may you reach a level of influence in the city And then finally, there's a blessing, a benediction pronounced on the descendants of Ruth and Boaz in verse 12. Moreover, may your house be like the house of Perez, whom Tamar bore to Judah through the offspring which the Lord will give you by this young woman. They prayed that God would allow the memory of Ruth and Boaz to survive in their descendants. And of course, God would answer their prayer in an amazing way. Here we are 3,100 years later recounting their names, recalling their story. God amazingly answered their prayer. Clearly, in the text we studied last time that we just walked through, Yahweh had provided a Redeemer for Ruth. Now that brings us up to where we left off last time. Tonight, we discover that through these remarkable circumstances, God not only provided a Redeemer for Ruth, but He also provided... A redeemer for Naomi. Look at verses 13 to 17. Let me read it and then we'll work our way through it. So Boaz took Ruth and she became his wife and he went into her. And the Lord enabled her to conceive and she gave birth to a son. Then the women said to Naomi, Blessed is the Lord who has not left you without a redeemer today. And may his name become famous in Israel May he also be to you a restorer of life and a sustainer of your old age. For your daughter-in-law, who loves you and is better to you than seven sons, has given birth to him. Then Naomi took the child and laid him in her lap and became his nurse. The neighbor women gave him a name, saying, A son has been born to Naomi. So they named him Obed. He is the father of Jesse, the father of David." Now notice, this story continues with a wedding, a conception, and a birth. Verse 13, So Boaz took Ruth, she became his wife, he went into her, and the Lord enabled her to conceive, and she gave birth to a son. Here, the author of this book has shrunk at least nine months of history into a single verse. From the day of their wedding until the birth of their son, The wedding is recorded this way in verse 13. So Boaz took Ruth and she became his wife. The expression, he took Ruth, refers to the ancient wedding ceremony in which a man went to the home of his bride and he took her back to his own home and she became his wife. Verse 13 goes on to say, and he went into her. Literally, the Hebrew text reads, and he went to her. This is a common Hebrew euphemism for sexual intimacy in marriage. It pictures the husband going into his wife's tent or into her room for the consummation of the marriage. Verse 13 goes on to say, And the Lord enabled her. Yahweh enabled her to conceive. Now don't miss the irony of this. Remember, this is the very same woman who had been married to Malon, her husband, for ten years without a child. Literally the text says Yahweh gave her conception. That's what the Hebrew says. Yahweh gave her conception. This had been the prayer you remember of the witnesses back in verses 11 and 12. And shortly after their marriage, little more than nine months after their marriage, apparently Yahweh has already answered. The writer of Ruth here reminds us of such an important truth, and that is that God is the one who opens the womb, who grants conception. He takes personal responsibility for life, and He still does. Even conception doesn't happen outside of the control of the God of the universe. Verse 13 goes on to say, "...and she gave birth to a son." Notice, the Lord is also the one who allowed Ruth not only to conceive this child, but to carry the child to full term. That too is under God's sovereign control. Undoubtedly, there are women here who, in God's providence, lost children somewhere in the term of pregnancy, understand that our God is in complete control of all of these things. He is good, He is wise, and For those of you who are in Christ, someday you will meet that child in the Lord's presence. Don't miss the fact that in God's providence, this child was a son. Not only did she conceive, but she had a son. Now that was really important in that culture because it meant that he could carry on the family name. And all of this, of course, was in answer to Boaz's prayer. You remember back in chapter 2, verse 12? This was his prayer for Ruth. May Yahweh reward your work and your wages be full from the Lord, the God of Israel, under whose wings you have come to seek refuge. That wasn't just about that she would get enough grain to eat. That was about God filling her life with his goodness. And here, God has done just that. Yahweh, under whose wings she had sought refuge, had lavished Ruth with his generosity and with his goodness. This is our God. This is who we serve. Now, don't miss the remarkable progression that has taken place in Ruth's life over what appears to have been just a couple of months prior to their marriage and then the time of their marriage. Think about this. At first, we find her in chapter 1, verse 15 she is a Moabite idolater living in Moab. Then, In chapter 2, verse 10, she is a foreigner living in the land of Israel, but one who had become a true worshiper of God. In chapter 2, verse 13, she refers to herself in her conversation with Boaz as the very lowest servant in his household. In chapter 3, verse 9, she graduates a little bit and there on the threshing floor, she refers to herself not as the lowest servant, but as His maid. And and that word would be used to refer to someone in the household who had full legal rights. Not a member of the family, but full legal rights. And, And now, here in chapter 4, verse 13, by a remarkable string of divine providences and grace, she has become the wife of one of Bethlehem's greatest and noblest sons. God is gracious. God cares for his own. Now, after the wedding, the conception, and birth, we're introduced in verse 14 to Naomi's Redeemer. Remember, we're, we're talking about a Redeemer for Naomi, and, and here we meet him in verse 14. Then the women said to Naomi, Blessed is Yahweh, who has not left you without a Redeemer today, and may his name become famous in Israel. Now, this is surprising. Because so far, all we've heard about is, is a redeemer for Ruth. But here's a redeemer for Naomi. Now, the narrator undoubtedly intends us to contrast this amazing blessing in verse 14 of chapter 4 with Naomi's cry of destitution back in chapter 1. You remember it? Go back to 1 verse 20. When she came back into the land of Israel from Moab, she said to the women... These same women that are are blessing her in chapter 4. She said, do not call me Naomi. Don't call me pleasant, which is what that name means. Call me Mara. Call me bitter, for the Almighty has dealt very bitterly with me. I went out full, but Yahweh has brought me back empty. Why do you call me pleasant? Pleasant since Yahweh has witnessed against me and the Almighty has afflicted me. She understood that she was bearing the weight of her sin. She was bearing the consequences of her choices. And she was extremely low. I go, go back now again to chapter 4, verse 14, and contrast what they say. The same God who had afflicted her is now raising her up. Contrast her heart-wrenching words in chapter 1 with the words of the women here. The women said to Naomi, Blessed is Yahweh who has not left you without a Redeemer today. Her neighbors, the women of Bethlehem, they, they bless God. That's just another word for praising Yahweh. Because He had not left her in that empty, chastened condition. Instead, as God so often does, He restored her. Because Yahweh is a redeemer. He had not left Naomi without that Hebrew word, Goel, the kinsman redeemer. He had not left her without someone to represent her. Notice the women did not speak of Boaz serving as a kinsman redeemer for Ruth, although that's true. Instead, they speak of this child as a kinsman redeemer for Naomi. And they're soon going to explain why. But, but notice, first they add in verse 14, and may his name become famous in Israel. Literally, may his name be called in Israel. Even after this child's death, may people all over the nation of Israel still be calling his name. By the way, notice the contrast. In verse 11, it's their prayer that Boaz's name be called in Bethlehem, but it's their prayer that this child's name will be called In Israel, again, God would answer their prayers in ways they could never, ever have imagined. Isn't that just like God? So look at Naomi's redemption. Verse 15. May he also be to you. May this child, this kinsman redeemer, be to you a restorer of life and a sustainer of your old age. For your daughter-in-law, who loves you and is better to you than seven sons, has given birth to him. Here the women explain that although this child is not Naomi's kinsman redeemer in the strictest legal terms, it is their prayer that he will function that way practically for her. Notice how they want him to, to do this for her. May he be to you a restorer of life. In other words, through this child, Naomi, may you gain new hope for the future, new life, and may he be a sustainer of your old age. Literally, may he sustain your gray hair, a figure of speech for old age. May this child guarantee your future security and well-being even in your old age. The implication in the book of Ruth is that Boaz was not a young man. We often think of of Ruth and Boaz as being the same age. That's very unlikely. Chapter 3, verse 10, remember, he speaks of her not choosing the young men. It's possible that he was even the age of her father and mother. So it is certainly likely, if that was true, that Naomi would survive her new son-in-law, Boaz. This meant she couldn't always depend on Boaz to care for her. But these women were convinced that this child, her grandchild, would care for Naomi. Then they explained why this is their prayer for her. Notice verse 15 goes on. For your daughter-in-law, who loves you and is better to you than seven sons, has given birth to him. This is our prayer. Because your daughter-in-law has given birth to this child. And notice how they refer to her. Who loves you. Boy, throughout this book, we have seen profound evidences of Ruth's love for Naomi. And that evidence did not go unnoticed by the people in their lives. Notice their next statement is truly amazing. Your daughter-in-law is better to you than seven sons. In a Jewish male-dominated agrarian culture, it was better to have sons than daughters. Because they were able to do more work in the fields and they were better able to protect you from harm. They could carry on the family name. So, in Jewish thinking, to have seven sons was considered to have the perfect family. In fact, in chapter one, or excuse me, chapter two of Samuel, 1 Samuel 2, verse five, in Hannah's prayer, she says, The barren gives birth to seven. This was the perfect, the ideal family. Seven sons. The irony here is that Naomi had mourned over the loss of her husband and her two sons. But Ruth, they say, has proven to be more valuable to Naomi than a perfect family, an ideal family of seven sons. Now that is a truly remarkable statement for Jewish women to say about a newcomer into their community. One who had come from Moab. Notice... Naomi's response to the child, verse 16. Naomi took the child and laid him in her lap. I wish you could get the sense of this Hebrew expression that the text has the idea of holding this child to her chest. It's an expression that's used in the Old Testament of both a a wife holding her husband to her chest and uh, holding her child to her chest.
1: That's Tom Pennington here on The Word Unleashed with part 19 of his series, Ruth. Tom will conclude his series next time with part 20. Join us then, won't you? Well, it's our prayer that you'll be enriched by the expository teaching of God's Word here on The Word Unleashed. We'd love to hear your story and how God is enriching you in your walk with Christ through this ministry. Write to us, won't you? Our address is listeners at the wordunleashed.org. Again, that's listeners at the wordunleashed.org. Or you can call us at one word And remember to connect with us on social at The Word Unleashed.